This is Joe Polizzi, author of Content Inc., and you're listening to my very favorite marketing book podcast, The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection in with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today I'm joined by Joe Polizzi, and we're going to talk about his new book, Content Inc., how entrepreneurs use content to build massive audiences and create radically successful businesses. Joe Polizzi is the godfather of content marketing. He's the founder of Content Marketing Institute, which is the leading education and training organization for content marketing, including the largest in-person content marketing event on the globe called Content Marketing World. Joe has authored or co-authored three other books, Get Content, Get Customers, Managing Content Marketing, and more recently, Epic Content Marketing, which was named one of five must-read business books by Fortune Magazine. You can also hear Joe on his podcast, This Old Marketing, with his co-host, Robert Rose, which, by the way, I have listened to every one of the nearly 100 episodes, <clears throat> stalker. So Joe also hosts his own podcast called Content Inc., a twice-a-week short-form podcast designed to teach one key content marketing lesson in each episode. If you ever see Joe in person, he'll be wearing orange. And he is a diehard Cleveland sports fan. Joe, congratulations on Content Inc. And welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. I I didn't know if I did a good enough job last episode with you. So just ha being back on your show means something. Oh, so no, thank you for having me. Oh, <laughs> it's an honor to have you back. And uh, I'm such a fan. And the book was fantastic. But speaking of Cleveland sports fans, the book, Content Inc., the foreword is by Brian Clark of Copyblogger. And he is a graduate of Texas A&M. And your quarterback, one of your quarterbacks for the Browns, Johnny Manziel, He's a graduate of Texas A and M. Wow, so you're doing the Kevin Bacon six degrees thing. So That's I really think good. that if 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 I had to guess, if things go well for the Browns this season with Johnny Manziel, you're going to be hearing Brian Clark say the following to you: "You're welcome." <laughs> you know what? Everyone here at Cleveland wants that to happen. Uh, we just don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. Well, I, you know, this is a sad. He obviously wasn't ready for a variety of reasons last year, but I have to say we were in the playoff hunt and it was Johnny's first game starting. I was at that game against Cincinnati and I honestly have never, not by the way, I've been a Browns fan forever. I've seen them play a lot of horrible games. That was the worst game I've ever seen them play. Ooh. And it was, it was, and then everybody was like, you know, I had Johnny football fever. And then all of a sudden it just came crashing down reality. But like, oh no, again, we, we drafted the wrong quarterback. Now he looks better here. So we'll, we'll see. I think he needs a little bit more seasoning yet 
2016 may be the year. Could I'd like be. To, maybe he'll grow three or four more inches. I think that'll be the that'll be <laughs> that'll really be helpful. <laughs> yeah, so you can see over the line would be great. Yeah, plan on that, Joe. Um, <laughs> and is one of the things about content marketing, it takes time. So I think it also, you know, we all have yes, we need these more, things take more time. Patience. So this book is very different from epic content marketing. It is. So who explain who this book is for? It's so funny as you were doing the introduction. I need to work on my titles because everything has content in it. I guess that's either good or, or bad. All four of the the books I've written or co-written. This one is targeted to mostly entrepreneurs, startups, super small businesses, and all the other three books that I've written have all been targeted to enterprise marketers in some way, larger companies, more complex content marketing challenges. And to be honest with you, this was a very selfish undertaking that I had because I wanted every, as you know, and because you you actually, you were at a a speech that I gave where I talked about, I have a goal of writing a book every two years. And so I got done with Epic Content Marketing in 2013. I'm like, okay, got it. What's the next book? And I wanted to write one on Content Marketing Institute. I wanted to write about, we had very little money, very little resources, didn't have any people. It was just me. You know, how do we build an audience and how do we actually build an audience and then sell products and services on the back of that audience? I said, this is it. We should write it about CMI. And then I'm like, in good content marketing fashion, I'm like, nobody cares about me. You know, nobody cares about CMI. They care about themselves. How could I, how could I take this into a, a broader teaching and make it more helpful than so it's just not all the Joe show all the time here. Mm-hmm. So then I went out and started to say, who else is doing this? Who else did this? And of course, you mentioned Brian Clark from Copy Blogger. He's, you know, wrote the forward and an example throughout the book, mm-hmm. found Rand Fishkin from Moz, found Ann Reardon in Sydney, found Matthew Patrick, who runs Game Theory, and over and over dozens and dozens and dozens of other examples. And I'm like, oh my gosh. There's something here. This this is actually a thing. People are doing this. And as I went through the different cases, I realized, hey, you can reverse engineer this in every one, the six steps of the book, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Every one of these companies did the same thing. The timetables were a little bit different, but they followed the same strategy. So that's why I, was, I get ex- <laughs> a little bit excited over this because I really think this is a better way to launch a business. If you are an entrepreneur and you're trying to launch a business, I think this is better to go out and build an audience and then monetize that audience rather than thinking, naively so in most cases, that we have an amazing product or service that's just going to sell like crazy, which we know from from research is simply not going to happen. Yeah, there were so many examples in the book that if you had to, for some strange reason, you could have stripped out all the information about Content Marketing Institute, and it would have been just as clear, but it was interesting to hear about how you all had done it. In the book, you said entrepreneurs are getting bad advice. What do you mean by that? I was, I'll, I'll tell you a story because I just think it's more interesting. So this is about two months ago, and I'm on a panel with a bunch of venture capitalists and angel investors, and we're talking to a group of entrepreneurs, and they're just talking about you know, how you go in and get your Series A funding and your seed capital and how it works and you got a product or service and blah, 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 all the same stuff. And they get to me. I'm the content guy in the middle. And I, you know, they're, they're going about, here's how you do it and here's how you need funding and all this stuff. And, and I basically said, I think, I think you're all doing it wrong. I said, I think, I think it's, if you look at the success rates 
of most businesses, and just take the ones we talk about in the book, right? Small Business Administration says after five years, more than 50% of businesses die, don't, don't survive. After 10 years, it's about 30% or less. If you look at Y Combinator, which is maybe the most successful accelerator on the planet, they have a 10% success rate. I mean, come on, 10%? Is that the, is it, these are the, the cream of the crop, and we've got a 10% success rate? Something is not right. Something we, I think we really believe that the best way to build a business is just to have this amazing idea for a product and service and then go out traditionally and try to sell that product using whatever, you know, what, focusing totally on the product and not on the needs of the audience. And I think we need to flip that model. I think if we first focus on, regardless if you have a product or service in mind, you probably do. But what if you go <laughs> let's out Let's hope and, so. Yeah, let's hope. But it actually doesn't matter in this model. If you if you had if you had a focus a passion in a certain area and you wanted to target a specific audience what if you just became a servant to that audience what if you just distributed ongoing relevant amazing remarkable information to that audience built that audience over time like Brian Clark did who blogged for 19 months in a row without monetizing that at all built built hundreds of thousands of subscribers off of that and Brian sold what eight nine different products Throughout that now he's got Rainmaker, which seems to be his his best selling product, and mm-hmm. now he's a you know ten million dollar plus company. But he sold many many products over the years. But he didn't have a product to sell at first. All he was selling was free information. So I I think that's a better way to go to market today because there are no barriers to entry when it comes to publishing. You can find your audiences out there if you do the right things that we talk about in the book. And then you'll know and understand that audience better than anyone else because you've been serving that audience for a period of time. You'll know inherently what products and services they're going to want to buy. And that's exactly all, all the case studies in the book. That's what we found. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the Content Inc. model, you have six parts, and this is the main thing we wanted to talk about because the way you've reverse engineered it and then broken it down into just six steps was was really interesting. But I, I still think that when you're explaining this or you're talking to people, just like when you were on that panel with the VCs, they must look at you like you've got two heads. That's exactly, they like, absolutely do. Like you're explaining for the first time that the earth rotates around the sun instead of the sun <laughs> rotating around the earth or that the world is actually spherical. It's not flat. So let's go with the first one, the sweet spot. Tell us about that. Yeah, the first two steps are all about building your strategy. So the first one we start with is the sweet spot. So for an entrepreneur small business, we're looking at where do we have our passion? Passion is really important. Jay, but we talk about passion a lot in the book, and Jay Bear's got some amazing takes on it. There's actually some research behind this as well, because if you don't have personal passion over an issue that you're going to create content around or build your content niche, you're not going to get up every day and do the work. That's why so many content marketing programs fall flat because you just don't have the passion to get up, motivate yourself and do the work and you have to do the work at some point. So it's the intersection between something you're very passionate about. But so if you're in an existing business, that could also be passionate over a very uh, significant customer pain point that you're talking audience pain point. And then that intersects with somewhere that you have a knowledge or skill area around some authority area. So that you have to figure out where can you actually be the leading expert in the world? What is that? So the intersection of this passion and this authority area, that's your sweet spot. And that's where we pull our content tilt that goes into the the next step. But you have to start somewhere 
And that's actually how most content marketing programs are run. And they figure, oh, there's my sweet spot. And then they run with that, unfortunately. Whether they're passionate or Whether, not. Well, the, the, the issue, who knows? Well, you and I both know most content marketing programs out there have no strategy. Right. It, it's just they're just creating lots of content that they think will work and think will drive more products and services. But as we know right now, the majority of content marketing programs are failing because they have no documented content marketing strategy as we know it. That's, yeah, the military has a term for it. It's called ready, fire, aim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Who does this? But we, I, th- you know what I think has happened is because there are no barriers to publishing today, we just start publishing. Hey, and I, by the way, I have nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with experimentation. At some point, you're going to have to do the work to become best of breed in your industry. But I think you at least have to take a cocktail napkin and like scratch out something and say, here's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And he, and answer the question why you're going to do it in the first That's place. That's my favorite way to plan content. As <laughs> it should be. Content That's, with with cocktail napkins. That's what I when because somebody will ask me because I always do the stat like the majority of companies don't have any kind of documented content marketing strategy. And then somebody will ask me, well, how do I how do I create that? And then I basically talk about this content marketing mission statement. And I say, take a cocktail napkin. Scratch it out. Start somewhere. And actually, the, the the idea of actually doing it pen to paper is really critical. And I love the research that's coming out about that, about it actually writing things down uh, leads to greater learning. And mm-hmm. that's a whole different podcast. And right. a lot of great things started in bars, too. So it's all kind of working I think together. Most, yeah. I think most amazing yeah. inventions have started in, in a saloon of some kind. Right. <laughs> so the sweet spot, like the, can you give the chicken example? Oh, the, I love that. So my one of my favorite examples is Andy Schneider, the chicken whisperer. I've learned that from uh, my good friend, Andrew Davis, author of uh, Brandscaping. And uh, he turned me on to Andy Schneider. So Andy Schneider is the chicken whisperer. And the whole idea was Andy wanted to raise chickens in his backyard and went out and searching for information as a, as a hobby and couldn't find any information at all and just started to do research and started to get more and more information. And he actually became the leading expert in the world on this because he had a a passion around teaching. So his passion was he absolutely loved teaching. He loved to share this idea as his friends came up to him and asked him, and they were getting interested in raising chickens. And I didn't even know this was a thing, by the way, but they were getting interested in raising chickens in their backyard. And Andy was like, I really want to teach my friends about this, started teaching them. And at the same time, he became the authority in backyard poultry. So that passion for teaching and the the idea of raising chickens in your backyard, backyard poultry, was his knowledge area of expertise where he had authority in, and that created the brand as we know it, the the Chicken Whisperer. And uh, it's just if if he if Andy didn't have a passion for teaching, he would have never done this mm-hmm. because he didn't he wouldn't have cared. He wouldn't yeah. have cared enough to actually put the meetup groups together. He put meetup groups together, then started a radio show. The radio show now gets 20,000 weekly listeners, you know, then launched a book around it, launched a magazine, and now is the, you know, the undisputed heavyweight champion of backyard poultry, if there is such a thing. He is, and he's been able to build a fairly successful business off the back of that. Mm, there are riches in niches. Let's go to the second one, the content tilt. Now, this one was, I thought, I, I'm just guessing, but is this the one that's the most difficult for people to to grasp or understand? This is the most difficult and the, and the most important. Okay. Uh, I think this is where mo- most, what happens is most 
startups, small businesses, even large enterprises stop at the sweet spot. They're like, great, there's a customer pain point. Here's something as our, our company is passionate about. Here's where we have authority. Go. But the problem is you haven't identified an area that you're, you can actually be the leading expert in the world at. Like, for example, type in SEO ebook into Google. How many results are you going to get? 11 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. Every agency on the planet does an SEO ebook. They're not differentiating at all. You're telling the same story as everyone else. You'll never be able to cut through the clutter. The content tilt is where we really start to define and actually answer the question, where can we actually be the leading expert in the world in a particular content niche? And I believe that has to happen. Like you actually have to find an area of little to no competition, especially if you're a startup and dominate that area of some kind and focus on that. So, I mean, in the book, we talk about the example of, of Anne Reardon. So Anne Reardon, now known as the baking queen of Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. she's, uh, she's a stay-at-home, she's a stay-at-home mom at the time. And she's uh, she's up night for up late for nightly feedings with her young child, and is bored and wants to do something. And so she's she's an educator. She actually educated youth in the western port part of um, of Sydney. And at the same time, she's a qualified food scientist. She's a dietitian. So she's got that as her sweet spot. But that again, that's not enough because you and I both know. I mean, I don't do a lot of baking. I don't know if you do, Douglas, but I like to eat. The stuff that's there's baked. yeah. See, you're you and I are in the so same I participate boat. in that way. There are tens of thousands of baking blogs out there. So let's just say, and Anne wanted to start a baking blog. Well, how is Anne going to cut through the clutter? Mm-hmm. Impossible. Not going to happen. Maybe if you have a, a multi million dollar budget, maybe you could do that. Or backing not from Craft Foods or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You're not going to do that. I always say, like, I always use the example of the, I talked to an owner of a pet supply store that wanted to start a pet supplies blog. I said, good luck with that. I mean, you're going up against Petco and PetSmart, who are already spending billions of dollars in marketing and advertising. There's no way you're going to cut through that clutter. They're going to crush you. Um, I mean, what's going to take somebody to move? from the pet supplies blog or the baking blog that they're currently engaged in and go over to yours. Nothing, if you're just talking about the same old things. So what Anne did is she identified a content tilt where she could actually be differentiated and tell a different story. So she targeted simply impossible food creations. So she looked at things like, how do I take five pounds of Snickers bars and make a cake out of it? Mm -hmm. Or I don't know if you saw the Instagram cake example, but that's... I mean, that's one that went viral where it looks like a regular chocolate cake on the outside, but if you slice into it, it's a perfect replica of the Instagram logo, and it just went crazy online. Mm -hmm. But those every week, she does a video embedded into her blog on that particular type of thing, impossible food creations. She had 100 subscribers on YouTube in, I think, January of 2012, and now she's got almost 2 million. Yeah, it was like 10,000 after one year or something like that. Exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, you do the work. And you start gradually growing and you build that base. And then as you're doing that, you know, you get more and more people that are getting interested in you because you have this differentiated message. You're talking about things that are really interesting and different to a particular set of audience. And then it, the good things happen. That's obviously the st- going ahead to the other four steps. But the content tilt is so critical. And that's where you have to stop and you have to do things like, you know, what's my content marketing mission statement? Wh- you know, what is my... What is that audience need that really can position us as best of breed, as differentiated, as the leading 
expert in the world, and nobody, nobody does that. Take a step back and tell the listener about what the uh, pet people ended up doing. Oh, so the pet star example. So I'm just, and by the way, this was, I was not hired on the account. This is just, I'm just doing some free consulting, talking to this pet supplies owner. And I said, look, you can go ahead and do the pet supplies blog, but you're not going to be successful. I'm sorry to be a, you know, a downer, Debbie Downer here, but you're not, it's not going to happen. So we started to look at, they started telling me about some of the different customer bases they have and some, some of the different specialty items. And we started to get into the conversation that a lot of pet owners like to travel with their pets. So that was interesting. And what we also find out is that there's a lot of, a lot of pet owners like to travel with their pets, specifically dogs in this case, in recreational vehicles. I said, wow, now we've got something. Mm-hmm. So we started, to, we started to sketch out, well, what if you created an informational resource specifically for pet owners in a certain area, let's say Northeast Ohio, that like to travel with their dogs in RVs? Wouldn't that be? And they're like, no, that's too niche. I said, no, 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 <laughs> that, that could be it. That could be perfect because you know what? You could be the leading resource over that area. And they're like, well, what if that's too small? It's like, well, you have to dominate one area first. (laughs) Just like Huffington Post didn't just launch 250 different blogs at one time like they have now. They started with one. They became the expert in one. You know what? Then they were successful there and they launched number two and Mm -hmm. number three. And I think that's the way that we have to do it. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, Douglas, but there's a magazine called RVs and Dogs. I, I don't know if you, do you subscribe to that? I don't know if you do. I, I go online for it, <laughs> but isn't they? But that's the kind of thing that people can't believe. That's the that's how specific and niche we need to get. And we we so look at total addressable market, and we've got to reach more. No, 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 we don't. We just have to reach the right audience. And sometimes that audience could be ten people, could be two hundred people, ten thousand people. In you know Matthew Patrick's case at Game Theory, he now reaches five million people. So it just it really depends, but. I love those examples of going niche, and I think that's where the opportunity is. But I think it's the problem is that it's like saying to a right-handed batter, okay, now I just want you to, to try batting with your left hand. Just <laughs> It just seems so unnatural to them. But then they get it, you know, they taste the wine, and uh, they want more and more. So let's go to the other parts because you're starting to touch on uh, some of those, uh, particularly in the diversification. The third one is building the base. Yeah, there are other ones, and I'll do the next the next three in a bunch because they all go together. Because you've, okay. now you've defined the strategy, you've got the content tilt, you've got your area of differentiation. Now you've got to do the work. And step three is building the base, and a really complicated model here, Douglas. So you know, hang with me if you can. Speak, this is speak what, slowly. If yeah, you, speak if you slowly could, yeah. for the listeners. So the listeners can understand no, this. Really. My listeners are pretty smart. It's me that <laughs> one content type. So is it textual? Is it audio or video? One main platform. Is it website, your blog, uh, iTunes, YouTube? Consistent delivery of valuable content over time. That's every one. That's every case we looked at. So what happens with most companies is they're just distributing content everywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, we got to be on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, God forbid, Google Plus, and whatever else they're doing. And they don't realize that the greatest media companies of all time have done that strategy. One content type for the most part, Mm -hmm. one content platform, consistent delivery 
over time. This is where the work gets done. And I think it's because we've complicated it so much by publishing everywhere we haven't focused on what really works in media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's examples of that, like ESPN started out as a cable channel. And, that was and they it. did that for 20, yeah, they did <laughs> right. that just for 20. I mean, now you look at ESPN, right? ESPN has, well, then we're getting into diversification a little bit, but they yeah. just started, they just did the work. They were just cable. If you look at the TED Talks were just these in-person events. Now they do lots of other stuff. If you look at the Huffington Post was just one blog. New York mm -hmm. Times, Washington Post was just a magazine. Now we tend to think that, oh, well, that's because they they only had that choice. But that's the same goes through for all the new launches that we talk about. We talk about Game Theory, the video series from Matthew Patrick. He launches videos on YouTube. If we look at Darren Rouse in Digital Photography School, he basically launches textual how-to content on a blog over time, and that's how he's consistently done it. So all the other case studies, whether we look at Goop from Gwyneth Paltrow or Glossier or EvanTube or all the other ones we talk about in the book, the same thing. They do this formula, and it works really, really well. And that's not what most companies do. We're, we're just almost like spray and pray over every platform. And it's not that we don't use the other platforms, but we focus on becoming great and becoming a master of one content type in one specific platform. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of a fire hose that's out of control, <laughs> as opposed to a fireman holding it in one place. So. Well, you know what? Actually, think about that. This is, I've never used this example before, but I was just at Cedar Point Amusement Park in Sandusky, Ohio with the kids. And you know the the games you go up and you squirt water into the, the, the mouth of the clown and the balloon mm -hmm. blows up and pops? You know mm -hmm. that game? Yeah. Think of it this way. If you have a very targeted stream and you're going right into that and you're going to blow the balloon up, you're going to be much more successful than if you're just spreading water everywhere. You're never going to blow that balloon up. It's the same thing. Just be targeted, be focused, be great at one thing over time. And I guess here's the caveat. One balloon is, at a time. Yeah, ex ex absolutely. But here's the, the issue, and some people don't like to hear this, but you ha this takes time. In almost all cases, we looked at in the book – all these case studies, these great successful businesses, it took over 12 months. It takes time to build a loyal audience. And I always get the backlash of, well, we want something that works fa faster. And what I'm like, well, actually, 12 months, when you think about it, is not that long if you want to think about building a loyal audience that you can actually monetize. But I'm like, well, what else are you going to do? You're going to buy advertising? What kind of, are you just looking for quick hits, sales? What I want to do. How's that working out for you? Yeah, exactly. I want to build. And what, here's what's amazing is, is that these businesses that build these loyal audience over time, they grow much faster. They're much more successful down two, three, four years from now because they have a prospective customer base that's already built. They don't have to go out and find the customers. They already have them. They just sell whatever they want to those customers that know, like, and trust them already. Well, now you're getting into facts, though. And, and that's, <laughs> that's going to – no, no, no. You know, I think it's like this diet pill – mentality it's like these companies they're it's like a, a kind of a person that says oh wait i just want to take a diet pill and lose 100 pounds i don't actually want to do the work to to make that happen it's like they want to write a check and just have this <laughs> this all occur overnight or it's somebody who says i want to go in the forestry business i want to you know like sell lumber and and have it harvested but but they want it tomorrow I think the other issue is, is the fact that when you stop focusing on what you want to sell and you keep all your focus on the needs of an audience base, amazing things happen. <laughs> and that's, 
that's what we see in the book. That's what we see with these case studies. And then with, you spend all this time focusing on a product that in most cases and what we see from the research doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You spend years and years on focusing on a product that ultimately either nobody wants to buy or you just can't market it effectively because you've been spending all the time on the product and not enough time on the audience. Yeah, there's so many uh, examples of, of companies that are really successful and they will tell you, well, we didn't actually start out doing this. We kind of stumbled on Always this. pivoted. <laughs> right. Yeah, always pivoted. Well, you know what's interesting too, if you look at a company like People always go come back at me with this model and say, but look at how fast BuzzFeed became successful. Do you know BuzzFeed started in 2006? <laughs> like, when did you start hearing about BuzzFeed? 2010, 11? It did a lot of work for a lot of years to get to that point where now everybody, but they did. The, and by the way, they followed the same model, too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's it reminds me of what model. Chris Brogan uh, talks about. It only took him ten years to be an overnight success, or something like that. Oh, it's so it's so so true. Yeah. Anyways, I know we want to go through the. It's all. I'll go through the other three. Yeah, so the the, the, the other the three steps. are harvesting audience, diversification, and monetization. Yep. So you build the base, you put in the work, like we just said. Then you, at, while you're doing this, you're harvesting an audience. You want to make sure that you build. I mean, that's your key. You're trying to build a prospective customer database for down the road. So you're going to build this audience focusing on, for the most part, email subscribers. And most people are like, well, email? Email is dead. No, no, no. Email is more powerful than ever right now. And what we see, even with the vid- YouTubers of the world or the greatest podcasters, you will see that all their calls to action are going to their website, their own properties. They're leveraging social media channels, but they're going to their own properties where they can actually have a direct relationship via email communication. So that's really critical. That's that's through all the BuzzFeed does the same thing. New York Times does the same thing. So it's interesting to see even all these social media companies, they're focusing on building an audience through email that you have actually have some control over. And as we know, Facebook companies like that will make a decision tomorrow that you go. Oh, I know you have fans and connections, but no, we're, today you can't talk to them. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's <laughs> what happened already with uh, Facebook. And then you go into diversification, step five. Once you build this audience and you've mastered this one channel, now you're diversifying. So if you look at really successful example like Joey Ch- Joy Cho, who we have actually have a whole chapter dedicated to her. Mm-hmm. She's one of the uh, most amazing, fastest growing companies around design that's out there. She got deals with Microsoft, Target, and all kinds of things. She started with a blog in 2005. Then she started launching books in 2010. And then in 2011, she went on Instagram and social media. And now she's got over 13 million people following her on Instagram. She's a worldwide sensation. But she started, she did five years of building that base. And then she and she built an email audience over that time and then diversified into books and into social media. We see the same thing back to our friend the Chicken Whisper. You know, started with the meetups, went into built the base off of the radio show, and then went and did, hey, we're gonna do the Chicken Whisper magazine and we're gonna do the Chicken Whisper book series. So it's interesting how that diversification happens. And then that by the way. ESPN, the same thing. Look at the media company example. We talked about them doing cable for 20, 30 years. Now you got ESPN, the magazine. You got the SP Awards. Uh, you've got uh, ESPN, the website. website that's amazing. You got fantasy football. You know, you got all kinds of stuff that they do, but they focused it initially on becoming great at that cable channel platform. And then the last thing is monetization. And the one thing that I'll say, because you're going to monet, basically, you have the audience intact. 
you have the loyalty, they know, like, and trust you, and then you're going to start to sell something. We had talked about nine different ways that you can make money off of that. And the one thing I'll say, Douglas, is a lot of people say, hey, why are we waiting till the end? Now, look, <laughs> every smart they, marketer. They, it's like they didn't read the book. They went straight well, to chapter six. Exactly. It's like, hey, I just want to make money. Now, here's the thing. All of the examples are trying to make money wherever they can. You don't you don't just say, okay, well, now I've diversified. Now I'm going to see how I'm going to make money. No, you're all the time looking at ways that you can monetize the platform. The problem is if you get, you have to get to some level of a loyal audience, what actually Brian Clark calls, calls a minimum viable audience, before you can actually monetize it. You know, our friend Michael Stelzner from Social Media Examiner, he, he said his number was 10,000. He didn't monetize anything from the Social Media Examiner platform until he got to 10,000 email subscribers. And then once he got to 10,000, he started to monetize. So everyone has to kind of figure out what that number is. But all along the way, we're trying to monetize, whether that's I'm going to do events like we do at Content Marketing Institute, whether you're going to do um, advertising and or merchandising like Game Theory does, whether you're going to sell products and services like Moz does, like uh like copy blogger does it it just there's lots of different ways to do it the philanthropy donations are another great way to look at mm -hmm. it so you just have to figure out what's going to make sense and even all along maybe you had that product or service in mind and maybe you pivoted along the way but you didn't even launch it yet but you focused on building that audience who's ready to buy because they already love you and they already trust you and they're going to buy really whatever you want to sell them whenever you're ready and it also seemed like several of them had ways that they were monetizing that they didn't even didn't even occur to them at the beginning, but somebody came forward and asked them for something, and they realized, oh, <laughs> yeah, sure, okay, yeah, I can I can add that uh, revenue stream as well. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you firsthand that happened with us because, as, as you know from the book, I mean, we started with a content marketing matching service. That was the product that was online. We were like the eHarmony for content marketing, which I think still think is funny today. That's how I always explained it to people, but that. That didn't work. The financial model didn't work at all. But all the same time, I wasn't listening as closely to our audience. And the audience was asking for education and training. Mm -hmm. That's all they were asking for. And, I'm, and then finally, it dawned on me where I'm like, you know, maybe the product that I'm trying to sell that's really only relevant to about 1% of our audience, 99% of our audience wants education and training. <laughs> and as soon as I started listening to that, and actually being open to that possibility, that's when the business model took off. It quickly, so, too, as I recall. It, it absolutely. One, so we launched, uh, we launched Content Marketing Institute. So I started building the audience in 2007 around content marketing and enterprise marketers. In 2010, May of 2010, we launched Content Marketing Institute. Immediately, it took off. We decided, hey, I'm go we're going to launch the number one platform for this digitally. We're going to launch the number one magazine because we'd already built the base by then. Already had the blog going. Mm -hmm. um, so three years doing the blog, launched the magazine, the in-person event, and the website, and immediately monetized the, the website with our benefactor program, which I detail in the book uh, quite extensively, generated revenue that was a, helped us to fund the event and the magazine. And then you know we were hoping for 100 people to come to the first event. We got 660 to show up. You know This year, we'll see over 3,000. It's our main moneymaker, mm -hmm. and it's been pretty darn successful. So It, it seems like uh, like with you, uh, your organization, and Social Media Examiner, and so many others, there's a um, sort of a, hey, I think we've got something here, <laughs> flexion point. And, and that was yours when it was like, oh, 
Oh, well, right. I'm like, oh my, yeah, exactly. Well, it finally started to listen to the audience. And, you know, you get that, you start getting, when, when you serve an audience, you start getting people that just email you or tweet you or send you messages and say, oh my God, thank you so much. Can, can you do more on this? I would, I really need this template, this guide, this right. whatever. Well, it's like, like the wow. audience for your podcast where I'm not, I'm doing it. I, I'll see something and it's like, oh, I want to hear the guys talk about this. <laughs> And so you said that most of your show prep now is coming from your audience. It's really crazy. We never, I, we never expected that where, you know, we were thinking, well, you know, we're going to have to take time and find the best stories. And they just, we just get them sent to you're us. You're having now. to rule out Don't have what to, you're not yeah, going to exactly. talk about it's now. So, it's so amazing. This, thing, this stuff shouldn't happen, but it happens when you build a loyal audience. And we've got people that, of course, right after the episode goes live, they tweet us. They like this. They don't like that. It's hey, fix it's this. Fantastic. Yeah, it fixed, yeah, fix. It. I get that all the time. Hey, you did this wrong spelling mistake in the show notes, and sorry, that's right. on me. You know that kind of stuff. But that tells you they're they're engaged. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Oh, you got you got it. It's unbelievable. But again, so we didn't launch the podcast until you know whatever. It's been almost two years now. But we had already built the base of the blog. So if you think about, oh, yeah. so if you're mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, don't think. Oh, I'm gonna launch a blog and a and a digital magazine and a podcast and a video series. No, no, no. Let's figure out and focus on be great at one. Do one really well. Build your audience of email subscribers and then diversify with things like a podcast, a video series, a magazine, a book, whatever, mm, whatever yeah. comes to mind. Joe, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? It depends on who's reading it. So let's say that you're an entrepreneur and startup. Mm-hmm. I would say this, I really do believe this too. And whether I've just been talking to myself too much or what, but I really do believe this is the business model of the future. Like I believe this is the way to go to market. Don't uh, waste unnecessary time and energy focusing on how to make your product great until you get a loyal audience and they will tell you what products they want. So that's the first one. The second one is if you're an enterprise marketer, if you're a marketer in a in a larger company, this could be the change you need to make happen so that you can build a loyal audience in a particular content niche that can help you, let's say, close sales faster, uh, sell more at time of sale, keep customers longer, retention, loyalty, whatever the case is. So I think that this can work for larger enterprise marketers, but I really did honestly write the book for small businesses, startups, and entrepreneurs to say, look, here it is. Here's your, here's your go-to-business strategy right here. Um, do this and come back in 15 to 17 months, and I think you'll have something pretty special. Mm-hmm. Let's hope. Yeah. The, <laughs> so, Joe, let me ask you one of the questions. I know you've written the book. You don't Obviously, you don't have time for anything because you've written these I books. To on, I'll have time to be on your podcast hey, every time. Are you thank kidding? you. Oh, my... Uh, I really appreciate it. Let me ask you one question. I often ask, what books have you read lately? But I'm not even going to ask you because uh, you've been so busy writing yours. Are there any books on your upcoming reading list you're looking forward to to getting into? Actually, I just got a first copy. Well, it's, it's a digital copy of Town Inc. from Andrew Davis, and I'm super oh. excited to read this book. And uh, and I've told and I basically reached out to him and I said, "Look, dude, I know the." book's not completely done yet, not to the printer, but can I have a copy? Because I really want to read it. It's a whole idea of how do you take your region, your town, your city to the next level by focusing on 
I think very similar practices of, of content marketing, but he's doing it from a very specific regional economic development standpoint. So I'm super excited about getting that. Oh, great. Yeah, me too. I have a, a client that's an economic development entity. So that sounds perfect. How can listeners find out more about you and this new book? So and yeah, anything about uh, about the book and where to buy it and all that good stuff is content-inc.com. There is a free ebook and a free chapter. I think it's the introduction we have out there that'll give you a really good overview. So if you're really cheap and you don't want to buy the book, you can just download all the free stuff. And you can get most of the information, as you know, off of the Content Inc. podcast. You can get information at content-inc.com as well. I'm at Joe Polizzi on Twitter. And if you reach out to me, I will promise you that in 24 hours, I will I will try to get back to you, especially if you make it a very personal note of some kind. Twitter's kind of my main communication area. And uh, and that's it. And I, I'm just hoping this is a new audience for me, Douglas. So, I mean, we've mostly I've targeted these large enterprise marketers, and I really feel like this could be something special. And you know, I hope it is. I hope it really makes an impact on a lot of companies and, and individuals. Well, oddly enough, I spoke with Robert Rose when he was interviewed on the show. And we, of course, spent most of the episode talking about you. But we, uh, we were talking about this book, and we were discussing about how this is actually a book for a much larger audience than what some of your other books have been. In other words, the enterprise, more the enterprise oriented for the others, but this one is an enormous swath of the business world. This is going to be interesting. It's it's funny. Uh, so I've worked with McGraw-Hill as publisher of my last two books, and they published Get Contact, Get Customers as well. Um, but last with Epic, there was not, I mean, I want to say that they put it to the side, but there's just a smaller audience. You're talking about marketers in an enterprise, big audience, by the way, but not as big as small businesses and small business owners, small business marketers, entrepreneurs, startups. And I think they're very excited about it. They put, I mean, they told me, I don't even know if this is true, but I'm going to tell you because they, because I'm going to take it to heart that they're telling me is true. This is the number one book they're focusing on for 16. So hopefully, so hopefully, and it's already really doing well. I get Amazon just bought a ton of copies. So they're preparing for, or they've ordered a ton of copies. So I'm hope, you know, I'm hopeful it's, it's a new audience and, and I'm super passionate about it. And not that I don't like talking about, Epic content marketing and talking to enterprises, I absolutely do. But I love talking to startups and entrepreneurs because you can affect change much faster <laughs> because they can make the decision tomorrow to do this. Well, and they and also I, didn't I have love a, that. They don't have a billion dollar budget either, so they actually have to be smarter than they are rich. Absolutely true. And and they're and they're the passion is usually already there. Yes. You talk to a lot of enterprise marketers and the passion has been sucked out of them years ago. <laughs> so it's just Actually like, it's uh, it's surgically removed. It's part of the uh, it's, it's, it's part of yeah. their corporate health care. Yeah, I think you get plan. that's part of the ten year anniversary at an enterprise. <laughs> right, just right. surgically get it removed. But yeah. Yeah. So the name of the book is Content Inc. How Entrepreneurs Use Content to Build Massive Audiences and Create Radically Successful Businesses. The author is Joe Polizzi. Joe, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you so much for all all your support. I, I cannot thank you enough and looking forward to seeing you soon. 
And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune. Thank you.